0: Welcome to More Than 7 Dirty Words, the official FCC podcast. I'm Evan Schwarztrauber. The FCC is always adapting to new technology. And just this week, the agency celebrated its 85th birthday. And there were exhibits in the commission meeting room showing everything from a 1928 AM radio that still works to a 5G smartphone. These exhibits span nearly 100 years of technology development. But as the old saying goes, nothing is new. And it's often helpful to look back on some of the topics that dominated the FCC's attention in past decades as they can inform its present and future. And who better to look back on the history of the FCC than Dale Hatfield, an FCC legend, former chief of the Office of Engineering and Technology, and currently he's a professor at University of Colorado Boulder in the Technology, Cybersecurity, and Policy Department. Today is Friday, June 21st, when we're recording, and Dale is in town from Boulder, for the FCC's Technological Advisory Council, which advises the FCC on technology matters, as the name would suggest. So Dale, thank you so much for joining the show. Really glad to have you here.
1: Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
0: And of course, um, I'm gonna start out with a difficult question, where I'm gonna ask you to summarize your career in less than an hour. Um, So if you could, (laughs) if we could start the show with that.
1: Yeah probably going to give you the wrong signal because I started in 1953 as an amateur radio operator so my interest in spectrum and radio matters dates back an awful long time but uh, professionally uh, in the early 70s I was the office of telecommunications policy in in the White House in the spectrum mostly in the spectrum related area Then in the mid-1970s, I was chief of the Office of Plans and Policy here at the FCC under uh, Dick Wiley. Then late in the 1970s, uh, I ran the policy shop at NTIA, and then late 1981 to early 1982, I actually ran NTIA I, uh, I was acting Assistant Secretary of Commerce for Communications and Information, if I can remember the title correctly. Then late in uh, 1997, yeah, late 1997, I returned here to the FCC as chief of OET, uh, Julie Knapp's job today. And of course, during this period of time, I've always held academic academic uh, appointments as well.
0: All right. Well, you successfully did uh, span a decades-long career, <laughs> and uh, clearly you know a couple of things about telecoms, so uh, I think you've established your credentials for the audience, and um we just had a uh, current uh, chief of the Office of Engineering and Technology, Julie Knapp, on the show. So we'll see which one of you gets more downloads, <laughs> and uh, then you guys can fight about it. Um, but as I started out the show, you know, the FCC is always adapting, right? And I guess it's easy, especially you know, if you're younger in the telecom world, it's easy to think that everything you're doing is unprecedented and new, and it's never yeah. been done before, and it's never been discussed because technology is always moving, but given your long history of working on these issues are there any issues you know from your tenure that you see parallels with the discussions we're having today that dominate our you know new cycle at the fcc
1: when i think about that the one that immediately jumps into mind is between the tension between federal government use of the radio spectrum and non-federal use of the radio spectrum and that tension between the two is always been here. In other words, the federal side needs more spectrum, the commercial side needs more spectrum, and so it leads to a certain amount of uh, tension. and that's been going on uh, as uh, long as uh, I've been in, 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 uh, involved. And it's partly an art- artifact of uh, way we do things here in the U.S. We split spectrum, the allocation of spectrum, between the FCC and, of course, N- NTIA, other countries often have the two combined. So the tension is probably still there, but it's manifests itself uh, uh, differently. And uh, I've served both at uh, NTIA and the FCC, as I uh, mentioned, so I've seen that tension uh, firsthand during my career.
0: And just for the listeners, you know, the sure. NTIA, a sister agency of the FCC, they manage— the federal spectrum holdings, whereas the FCC is mostly involved with the commercial use of spectrum for business and for consumers.
1: Exactly right, exactly right. Today I uh, serve on both the FCC Technological Advisory Council, which we just met, as you mentioned, and the Commerce Department's uh, Spectrum Management Advisory Committee. So uh, here again, I see see things from uh, both sides. But, of course, the commercial users are saying, we desperately need more spectrum, uh, for example, to support the rollout and growth of 5G services, which we know how important that is, and argue often that the federal government is not using their part of the spectrum as efficiently as they might. On the other hand, of course, the federal government saying, we need spectrum for national defense, homeland security purposes, and so forth, and very critical needs and our needs are also growing and we need to hold on to what we have to assure that we have the spectrum we need for uh, national security purposes going forward so both sides make rather compelling arguments and it's really difficult it's really difficult to make that make that uh, decision and like i say it's uh, something that's been going on going on for years if i had to offer an opinion, I'd say probably what we need to do is more dynamic sharing between the two because it, it, it uh, uh, we can't continue with this, with this division, it seems to me, this tension. So we need to try to find ways of solving it. And one of the ways is uh, spectrum sharing, which raises its own set of difficult issues, but that's f- probably for another time. Right.
0: <laughs> and another issue that's been around for ages, but that, you know, seems like there's always a new iteration of it is the management of interference. I mean, this goes back to the reason the predecessor to the FCC, the Federal Radio Commission, was started in the first place was because uh, radio stations were interfering with each other. And, um, you know, you mentioned that you overlapped here with uh, current uh, Bureau Chief Knapp. Um, You were his boss, I guess. Um, I don't know if he would appreciate me saying that on the show. but um, (laughs) And you both, you know, share a passion for, you know, interference management. And how do you ensure that everyone's playing by the rules and that we're not talking over each other, so to speak. So um, are there any, you know, compelling examples of interference back in the day that might be informative to those who work on the issue today?
1: Sure. And uh, first of all, let me say that I uh, just can't say enough good things about uh, Julie, uh, a really true public servant who is sometimes referred to, I think, property. Quite properly as a national treasure, uh, he's one of the highlights of my career. Was working uh, with uh, with Julie. I learned so much for him. So uh, it's we, we will have fun when looking at the results of the uh, podcast issue. Oh man, I was hoping for you to come on here and <laughs> badmouth him and
0: talk about how much better you are, uh, but instead no. you guys get along. Uh, That's he, not very he, interesting.
1: <laughs> no. Yeah, he is just really uh, terrific. Uh, but seriously, turning to your uh, question, uh, I regard the management of the radio spectrum as sort of the most fundamental thing that the FCC does. You can also put common carriage regulation sort of or, so, to, to that. But basically, when you look right at, the, at that management of the radio spectrum, is a key, key, uh, uh, key, key thing that you do, and then within that, management of interference is critical because if you don't do the interference management then spectrum essentially becomes in the extreme becomes, becomes useless so that function is just really central to what the uh, what the FCC does I can uh, if you'd like uh, tell you a story uh, that I'll link back uh, to your comment that there's nothing really new in terms of issues uh, some of you uh, and the listeners may remember the citizens band radio, which was widely popular at one time, and is still used by, to a limited extent, even uh, even today by truck drivers and, and others. You remember Breaker Breaker 1-9 uh, sort of thing? And of course, it, it allowed people with very little low-power 5-watt stations in their vehicles or home to be able to communicate with almost anybody, either for business purposes or just as a hobby. And it turned out uh, that the radio band used by the amateur radio enthusiast was right next to the CB spectrum where the CB operators used their little five watt uh, radios. And some enterprising manufacturer uh, uh, got the idea that they would sell amplifiers so that you could boost the signals up to as much as 1,000 watts, and they were legal to be used in the amateur service, but they were illegal to be used in the uh, in in uh, CB. Uh, but the fun part of it was they put a little tag on the thing and that based on the amplifier that said basically, do not cut this wire because it would enable you to operate at much higher power and of course it was sort of an invitation to uh sort of an invitation if you will to uh to uh uh people to actually clip that uh clip that wire
0: yeah it's an interesting strategy from the manufacturer's standpoint to say uh (laughs) Please definitely do Do not not. cut this wire, which will make your radio much cooler and powerful.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Don't
0: touch this red button. That's totally unguarded, and no one's going to stop you from touching it.
1: And of course, you might. You know, what's what's the incentive to do that? Well, hobbyists wanted to talk as far as they could, so you know they can talk much further with, uh, you know hundred or three hundred or even a kilowatt than they can with the lo- with a low power and, and this
0: little tag didn't necessarily come with a three-page explanation of all the <laughs> interference problems exactly. they'd be causing by cutting that wire exactly
1: yeah. right and of course uh, uh, you just caused tremendous amount of interference to people who were trying to operate uh, trying to operate uh, legally uh, and uh, and of course what I like, uh, you would expect when you do that, of course, the interference uh, really gets uh, get fierce. It can make it almost, and did. I mean, uh, Citizens Band got to the place where it, there was so much interference and chaos, it was very difficult to uh, people who were operating legitimately to uh, do things they wanted to do. Uh, it, but what I think it does, it, it does illustrate what sort of the problems we have today because if you don't manage that spectrum right, you can end up with lots of chaotic interference between users, so it essentially becomes uh, more or less useless for any, anybody. And to tie it back, your uh, comment about uh, nothing uh, being new, I, I talked about cutting, we've just been talking about cutting the wire. In today's, we have what we call software-defined radios. We used to do things with coils and capacitors and things like that. And now the functions in the radio are controlled by software. So instead of cutting a wire, all you have to do is hack the software. So it's the same problem. You can operate illegally by hacking the software and say, tune this radio to some other place or increase the power something and cause sort of interference. So there is a link, if you will, between the cutting the wire in today's things where you have to worry about somebody hacking the software and the software defined radio.
0: Right. And the uh, amateur radio example, you know, from back in the day might today be considered a low tech example of spectrum interference. But, you know, there are modern examples like GPS jamming that it's very easy to imagine how problematic it could be if the GPS, which we now take for granted, whether it's used to uh call a rideshare or when you're navigating your own vehicle or biking somewhere or scootering or whatever you're doing or flying yes. um that could be a serious problem for public safety not just the maybe annoyance to a truck driver yes. uh, it could be a lot more serious and uh what you know what are some of the issues that you've noticed in the GPS context when it comes to interference management
1: well that's a a very important comment because you 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 said it exactly right uh uh, knowing uh, somebody just uh, in a truck, an individual truck or something, is not a really national consequences. The person may get irritated, <laughs> but it's not a national uh, consequences. On the other hand, as you suggest, uh, GPS is used for critical things like positioning, navigation, precision, timing. And, uh, uh, and if, you, uh, if you cause it to fail in some way, Uh, there can be very, very serious uh, consequences. Uh, Let me say that there are really two threats that we think about. One is jamming, where somebody just puts out a signal that's a lot stronger than the one you're trying to listen to and therefore drowns out, if you will, the intended GPS uh, signal that you're listening to. Now it's interesting to me because the jamming can be malicious and uh, it can be intentional, but not malicious. Uh, uh, for example, uh, school teachers sometimes will put a jammer in their classroom to keep the students from using their cell phones uh, during class. Or a theater owner might put a jammer in to keep people's cell phones from being being uh, uh, act- activated. But it can also be used maliciously. For example, a criminal doesn't want to be tracked, or something can also can also also jam it, and so we have to. Uh, but, uh, by the way, I should say jamming is just absolutely illegal. Yeah, because I, I just I can <laughs> yeah. hear
0: in the minds of school teachers and theater owners listening to this podcast, they're they're going on Google right now and they're yeah. saying, "I'm going to grab me one of these jammers." Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I know you were about to hit purchase on that on that uh, product, but you could go ahead and stop because whether you're a teacher or a criminal, jamming is not legal.
1: <laughs> it's just plain not legal, and it, it's not not only plain not legal. It's uh, Ill- now I'm not a lawyer. It's it's illegal to advertise them. It's illegal to import them. It's illegal to manufacture them. The FCC has got it really covered that you cannot use these uh, devices except in very very limited uh, circumstances that don't uh, don't. Apply don't apply. And
0: maybe some listeners, you know, a few years back went to some high-end restaurant to celebrate a special occasion, and they noticed their cell phone didn't work in the restaurant, but they walked half a block away and all their bars came back. Might have been using a jammer.
1: Jammer. Exactly right. Exactly right. Here again, it's not malicious. They're not but, but the trouble of it is if you use it in the restaurant, you may jam somebody next door for calling 911, uh, uh, for example, or whatever. So we've got to be very careful. The other that people, I don't think, understand quite as well is this notion of spoofing where you pretend to be a legitimate GPS signal. And if you transmit a spoof GPS signal... Your phone may not be able to tell you. Sort of drowned out the legitimate signal and replace it, if you will, with a signal that's not the real signal. And why would somebody uh, do that? Well, uh, you know, uh, you can fool you into uh, maybe driving down a dark road because your, you know, your phone <laughs> says turn right at the next intersection, and you think that's a legitimate. You think you're getting a legitimate, you know, uh, uh, that that's corruption. the right way to go. But yeah. yeah, you think that's the right way to go, and you may end up going down a dark road, and somebody robs you. Know that's you know kind of reaching a little bit, but nevertheless, it illustrates. M- more importantly, perhaps it could turn you turn turn right, and you do it, and you go over the side of a cliff or something. Right, or you can so, imagine
0: a foreign adversary would have an interest in potentially causing chaos in you know in another country, roads, sure. bridges, et cetera. Could become you know rendered useless if uh, there was widespread jamming of GPS signals or sorry widespread spoofing of GPS right, signals. Yes, yeah,
1: spoofing and jamming. In yeah. uh, And some ways to me spoofing is kind of scary because it looks like everything's working fine. If you're jammed, you kind of say, hey, you know, the signal's not there. Right. But spoofing is uh, isn't it? Uh, uh, so.
0: Uh, and that's part of the the point you were making where we move from a hardware situation to a software Software. situation. And no one has to do anything to my phone physically for me to potentially receive that spoof signal. And I'd venture to say there's probably not a ton of awareness that this is even possible. I mean, there's a lot of media attention these days to caller ID spoofing because of the robocall problem. And we've talked about that on the show. But you know, I'm, I'm not sure a lot of people know that uh, your GPS signal could be spoofed. And we're not trying to scare anybody, but no. it, is, it is a thing. Yeah.
1: And there is, a, in fairness, too, there's an awful lot of research going on because you can imagine this is of, you know, concern uh, uh, militarily and so forth. And so you try to be able to detect that spoofing is occurring. But that, uh, trying to make that technology economical for use in consumer devices is, is much more of a challenge, obviously. So this is an area of active sort of research because of its national defense, national security implications as well.
0: And, of course, there's no such thing as perfect security, right? And one That's of the things you, you and I talked about when we were preparing for the show is the inherent openness of a wireless network. You know, a physical wire could be buried underground to protect it. You know, maybe some animals will chew through it, and we've heard about that from broadband providers all over the country. Uh, In in Alaska, the caribou sometimes chew through the fiber. But, um, you know, there are ways to protect physically a wire from being tampered with physically. You can't really do that with wireless signals unless you're going to put you know, the, the, the proverbial cone of silence over it, which means you can't use it anyway.
1: That's, that's right. There's something called a Faraday cage that you can actually put a receiver in, and the signals uh, can't get in. In other words, the uh, uh, bad signals can't get in, but as you're suggesting, the flip side of that is the good signals can't get in either, right. so it's, self, it's a self-defeating spade. Uh, so we have to face that as we move increasingly towards wireless We just have to be an awful lot more careful that we're protecting adequately against these sort of jamming and spoofing uh, activities.
0: Now, I could forgive you for becoming jaded with technology, given that you've seen so many things. And maybe you've just gotten to a point where you're like, I'm done. I don't need any more new technology. I'm over it. But I do want to ask you, looking ahead to the future, looking at all the things you discuss on the Technological Advisory Council and things coming down the pike, What excites you most about the future of technology, you know, particularly as it relates to things that will be coming across the FCC's desk?
1: What excites me the most? Well, I remember how thrilled I was when I was a kid, about 15 years old, Uh, some 65 years ago, something like that. See, I that. wasn't going to ask your age, but <laughs> since you said it, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, about 81. <laughs> yeah, I am 81, not about. Uh, uh, and I was an amateur radio operator, a ham operator, and, of course, I used Morse code uh, dots and dashes to communicate with people literally all over the world. And uh, now, of course, with the Internet, I can communicate with people all over the world, but using voice data, image, video clips, or, or whatever. And what a absolutely breathtaking change that has been just in my lifetime. The, to me, the thrill is still there. I could talk to somebody in a foreign country by topic, typing out dots and dashes, and now we can have a full video uh, conference if, if we want to. Just absolutely uh, amazing. And of course, uh, Related to that, an area that the FCC, of course, is working very hard on, is the uh, is a 5G, the fifth generation cellular systems, which promises an awful lot more. In addition to the things I talked about, an awful lot more services that can be provided uh, than what we have even even today. So that's it. I'm excited by. What we'll, uh, what we'll have in the future because of the 5G rollout.
0: And speaking of spectrum, um, one thing I've really enjoyed learning about the FCC is this timeless dynamic of the change in whether... There's one thing I have really enjoyed working here and learning about. It's this timeless dynamic where people at a given time think that certain spectrum is unusable, <laughs> right? And there's that famous, I think, misquote of Bill Gates, Back in the day when he said something like, why would anyone need more than 70-something kilobytes of storage? And now we're selling smartphones that, you know, do 100 gigs like it's nothing, right? And and I guess it's it's just hard to envision what's going to be usable. But throughout FCC history, you know, the ceiling in terms of the radio spectrum yeah. of what we think is usable keeps changing. And when That's we right. say low band, mid band, and high band, those definitions change as things as more spectrum becomes usable. And the things that we're auctioning off for 5G today, you know, you go back, you know, 10, maybe even five years ago and people would say, what are you crazy? No one could possibly use that. And given that, you know, your tenure here and how long you've been in this space, are there any fun anecdotes of, you know, people talking about unusable spectrum that today we take for granted? Or, you know, is this a dynamic that you've experienced particularly acutely throughout your career?
1: Uh, Yes, uh, uh, without naming any names. (laughs) No need for that. (laughs) I can remember when uh, major manufacturers of land mobile radio systems, by that I mean systems that are used, for example, by the police for dispatching uh, uh, their cars, uh, 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 were telling us it wasn't going to be possible for them to move from the VHF range, which is around 150, Megahertz up to 450 megahertz because the radio waves just wouldn't behave properly. The equipment was too too expensive. It was too hard to generate free. So they had all these reasons why that spectrum essentially would be unusable to them. And of course today, the the, uh, well absurdity of that is so clear with hindsight, right. with hindsight, but it's so uh, uh, absurd. Yeah, clear. and just I'm to
0: put that it. in context for some of the listeners, some of the bands that the FCC has been engaged in recently, you know, we talk about 450 megahertz being unusual. We've got companies that are interested in deploying in 37 gigahertz. Yeah,
1: yeah that's billion. And yeah, even 90, we're opening yeah, up 90 for
0: experimentation. It, so it's just it, it, exactly orders of right. magnitude. Have moved beyond what people thought was usable,
1: and you know. But interestingly, we are moving up to a limit now, because the commission and its good work, we're beginning to bump up to where we begin to get towards the visible light range, and of course, that's no longer It's electromagnetic radiation, but it's no longer in what we would call the radio spectrum. It's up in in the visible light. Well, we got a waste. There's a gap in there, but we get up to the visible, right? So, so you're so,
0: suggesting that the FCC might soon have to regulate light?
1: <laughs> if I have if I have a moment more, let me I tell you a funny story about that. I was asked to comment. This is years ago, on a bill that was uh, in Congress that they were considering in Congress, and uh, they wrote it. That the FCC would have jurisdiction over all electromagnetic uh, radiation that was used for communications purposes. So uh, I thought about this for a while and I said well let me see a red light at an intersection (laughs) is emitting electromagnetic radiation And it is telling you something. It is telling you whether to stop or go. So therefore, it is communicating with you. And I said with all politeness, of course, I don't think you really intended to give the FCC jurisdiction over traffic lights.
0: Yeah, that gives a new meaning to regulatory (laughs) mission creep. Um, So I did, of course, ask you a positive question about what excites you the most about the future. And maybe in hindsight, I should have reversed the order, but whatever, let's keep going. What keeps you up at night? You know, you've seen so much throughout your career. Clearly, there are always threats where it's cybersecurity, um, you know, national security. Technology is overwhelmingly used for good by the vast majority of people, but it can also be used for ill. What keeps you up at night?
1: Uh, I've already touched on it, and that just as we re- increasingly release, we re- rely upon all the amazing benefits of wireless. We got to keep in mind that hey, they do have a little bit of special susceptibility in terms of the jamming and spoofing and sniffing that I talked about. So, I do worry about. It. I don't want to I don't want to overstate it. But on the other hand, I think we need to kind of keep in mind that hey, this these systems are uh, open. The other thing that really worries me is the Internet has been uh, so, such a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, it's been s- such a great equalizer. and it goes back to some of my comments of being able to communicate around the world and so forth. But there are efforts, you know, underway to try to segment out and say, we'll have our own Internet and you can have your own Internet if we fragment it. It'll lose that beautiful thing that we had in the beginning of everybody being able to communicate. Uh, everybody being able to communicate with anybody else in the world. My vision is a kid talking around the world, then gets now splintered uh, because. Yeah, because I think the term
0: that the, uh, the journalists like to use is splinter nets.
1: Yes, precisely. Yeah, precisely. And of
0: course, there are certain authoritarian regimes which you know would like to do that exactly. to block off outside information. Exactly
1: you know? right. Exactly well, right.
0: Well, we will end on a positive note because I do want to ask you, given how much experience you have and knowledge, what advice do you have for you know the current FCC, future FCCs, any future young people listening, future young people, young people listening to this program who are potentially interested in telecom. You know, your uh, colleagues from the Office of Engineering and Technology have come on this podcast and said, please, become an engineer. We need more engineers. Uh, But do you have other advice for, you know, the next generation of telecom?
1: Well, certainly, uh, I think uh, we need more uh, engineers. Uh, I have, when I tell my students, I said, if you have a good technical background... I can place you in a job in Washington. The demand is so great for people who have both, I mean this like our Law students, you know, get some of the technical understanding because it'll really help you. And I say, well, I said this very awkwardly, but I can more or less assure you can get a a job if you have that good technical skills plus the legal training on top of it. It's
0: like being bilingual. Yes,
1: (laughs) well well stated. it my I have always been a believer and I still am uh, on strengthening the rely reliance on uh, b- multidisciplinary teams interdisciplinary teams so we not only think about including lawyers and uh, and uh, engineers but even sociologists economists and so forth and I would uh, relate that to the uh, what's happened here just uh, recently at the commission of sort of pulling together the economist and the uh, what's a, the, the office, office of economics and uh, analytics and, and, yeah, yeah which is see a step beyond just law and engineering that brings in the important economic and the sociological effects of course are important as well I really do believe that an interdisciplinary multidisciplinary approach leads to much better outcomes for the public and of course uh, all the stakeholders that all the stakeholders that that you serve here at the commission.
0: All right, a mutual friend of ours is forcing me to ask this questionable question, so to speak. It's multiple choice again, odd, um, and maybe people listening can figure out who inserted this question into my show. What is the best thing about Boulder? Choice one: It's an amazing tech and wireless community. Choice two. The stunning outdoor beauty. Choice three, the brew pubs. I know this did not come from the Boulder Tourism Board. This comes from someone in telecom. Dale, choose I, well, one.
1: Well, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, all three are just absolutely true. And uh, if you force me, uh, I would say, well, why don't you put a box on there that I can check that says all of the above?
0: Let the record show Dale refused to answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> I will note his lack of candor and responsiveness before I invite him on for another show. <laughs> Dale, thank you so much for joining. This has been a real pleasure.
1: Well, Evan, thank you so much for having me.
0: My guest has been Dale Hatfield, former chief of the Office of Engineering and Technology. He's a member of the FCC's Technological Advisory Council. Currently, he's a professor at the Technology, Cybersecurity, and Policy Department at the University of Colorado Boulder. Find this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a review because it will help others find the show. We'll catch you next time.